you have your uh, a hard copy or read it up here, whatever. It is 1 Timothy uh, chapters 3, verses 1 to 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the, God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. The word of the Lord. Prepare your hearts for Tommy. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Craig. How's everybody doing today? <clears throat> All right. I can't tell you how excited I am that uh, for those of you that knew this was part two of uh, shepherding, I thought, you know, I, I hope that leadership qualification would resonate with some people because a lot of people would be like, meh, what's, what in the world's it got to do with me? Hopefully today I'll show you uh, that that has everything to do with you. But I'm grateful that you're here. What I want to do is, is pray, and then you can leave your Bibles open or your device uh, marked to 1 Timothy 3. That's the passage we're going to be going through today. I'm going to finish really quick what I started last week and, and then get into why it matters for all of us here today. So uh, I echo what Craig said. Yeah, he's risen. May we remind ourselves that every week. Jesus never went back into the grave, and so there's a good reason you shouldn't either, right? You're new. You're alive in Christ. Uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You've got new clothes on. You're clothed in humility. You've got a new calling, a new purpose, a new identity that's... Uh, Identity shifting, behavior transformative, and we don't need to put grave clothes back, back on. We, we'll stay out here in the light where Jesus is with him. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is your church. We belong to you. We are your flock. We are your field. We are your family. You are the chief shepherd. You're the, the cornerstone of this building, Lord, and we're just bricks. We're just happy to, to have a place in your kingdom, and that's all because of you. And that's why we worship you today. We, we show up out of gratitude. We show up uh, expressing our dependence upon you. Your word says, you said, in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. We believe it. We acknowledge it. We confess it, Lord. We feel our weakness. We feel our creatureliness. We feel often ourselves drifting, Lord, and power draining from us. And we need to come back and, and acknowledge, Lord, our need and, and sometimes repent and, and ask your forgiveness, Lord, for drifting and going, uh, calling audible and, and trying to be autonomous again, Lord, like we did in the garden and, and forgetting we belong to you. We're, we're connected to you. You are the vine. We are the branches. If a man or woman remains in you and you in them, they will bear much fruit. We want to bear fruit. We want to be equipped for the work of the ministry. And Lord, I pray you would help me today. I feel my weakness. I feel fatigue. I feel um, just distracted, <laughs> Lord. I pray you would help me to focus, to uh, Help, help me to make this passage come alive. I can't do it without you, Lord. I can't make it interesting. I can't make people curious. Uh, but this is your word, and all parts of it are profitable. And this, perhaps more, as we survey the landscape of churches the last three, four, five years, 
this should be more applicable and important to us right now, Lord, than maybe any other time, because it's so ignored, it's so slighted, and just assumed that the people who are in leadership should be there, they belong there, and that's just not always the case. I certainly don't want that to be the case here, Lord, so help us together unite as a church family, pay attention to you, listen to you, hear from you, and obey you, Lord, and put the leaders in place that you want to be in place here, and help us to all participate in that, Lord, and not leave it to somebody else. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So today is uh, Shepherds, part two, and we're going to be in that passage from 1 Timothy, and I can't see my monitor always in the back there, so you're going to have to bear with me as I may be looking up here to, to make sure we're there. Um, but the first thing I wanted to do, a few people had questions last week, and, and that's on me. They're like, hey, is something wrong with our elders? You're saying the need is upon us. We need new elders. Uh, what about our old elders? What's wrong with them? Is there conflict in the house? Are people leaving? No, 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 no. Not at all. I could not be happier. Now, I don't speak for them. I think maybe I do. We have a great relationship. The elders of this church, there are, in fact, let me throw a slide up. You should know this, but in case you don't, oh, thank you guys, they got it. There are, there are five elders in this church. Four of them are lay elders, and lay elder doesn't mean uh, non-equal or below. Uh, it means they're not on the payroll. They don't get paid to do what I do. I, you actually pay me to do what I'm doing, and I'm grateful. You know, a lot of people in church plants especially have to serve bivocationally. You know what that means? Two jobs. This is one of the jobs. They're either not paid at all or they're not paid enough to provide for themselves and their families. So they have to do double duty. And I'm thankful. It's been eight years. You guys have given generously, sacrificially, and I think cheerfully. I've never heard anybody complain. And because of that, you're able to pay not just me. Uh, you pay another full-time associate pastor, Matthew Carr. You, you pay a, a, a full-time director of ministries, Diane Hendricks. You pay a part-time director of communications, um, Megan Amador. And am I missing somebody? No, that's, that's it. That's our staff. But you don't pay four elders who give themselves their time, their energy, sacrificially, cheerfully, um, sometimes probably painfully because of me. Uh, and they don't get paid for that. They're called lay elders. Every time, let me explain this, elder. Grown up, can I be honest? Hearing that word, I was like, ah, not because it indicated somebody old to me, and there's nothing odd about old. I'm old now. I'm 48. But the word elder, it just sounds like something out of a vampire novel, doesn't it? Uh, that, that word, every time it's used in the Bible, 99% of the time it's used in the Bible, it's used in the plural sense, elders, elders. A church is led by a team of godly men. We, the 25-cent phrase is a plurality of godly men called elders, and I think the idea is combating this age-old idea that there's one person at the top who calls all the shots and everybody, like Napoleon Dynamite, bow to your sensei, you know? It's, there's this hierarchy. He's at the top. He calls the shots. Don't question him. Uh, just do what he says. Bow to your sensei. And that's not actually biblical. There's no pope in the Bible. It's a team. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, they're going to help me out up there. It's a team of godly men. It's a team of godly men. I'm the lead pastor here. That means I devote all my time to studying the Bible, shepherding you, praying for the flock, and I'm the primary teacher of this church. And I bear the, the responsibility for what you are taught. And that's a high degree. You know, you heard two times in that passage that was read, the devil. Man, right there, just in a few verses, bam. 
meet these qualifications lest the devil get you in a snare or lest you fall into the condemnation of the devil. And what does that tell you? Who does the devil have in his crosshairs? He has me. He has me, your leader. He has your, your elders. The leaders are always in the crosshairs of the enemy. And that's why this is so important. If somebody is there who doesn't belong there, uh, either Satan will leave them alone and think, great, they're doing their job for me, or I'm doing my job for me, or those are the people who have no protection over the devil for, for lots of reasons we'll talk about here. But these men are such a blessing to me. Uh, they have been so gracious serving with them for several years now has been one of the joys of my life. And reality is our bylaws say that an elder can serve for two years and then through a nomination review committee, he's reevaluated and he can serve another year. Uh, and so Steve Ekman, Steve's actually served eight years here, not as an elder. In the beginning, he served on the board of directors. And then we saw, you know what? We, we're doing okay. We're doing good. Our church was young. We were desperate. We didn't have enough people to serve as elders. But as we grew, uh, we knew that, you know what? We want our church to reflect the New Testament model for leadership. And we need to transition to a team of elders. And our leadership, the board of elders, were, were willing to do that. It was no fight, no battle, wasn't contentious. I thank God for that. I would've, that would have taken years off of my life. So Steve went from being on a board of directors to serving as an elder for over three years now. And so the end of this year, it's his time to rotate off and get a much-needed break. Steve, you've been amazing, brother. You and, and Beth have been incredible. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so you're thinking, okay, well, that, then there were four. No, then there were two. Listen, so uh, Mike Priest, who's, he's not here this morning, they're actually moving. They're packing up, and they are moving to, and I'm sorry, you're going to get bombarded with people hugging you and saying goodbye. Next Sunday morning, we, we're ascending church, right? I don't like to use the words, we're losing this family, we're losing this leader. Uh, we want to use the language, we're sending them. Mike has been in management leadership at Chick-fil-A for years, and a dream of his and a prayer of his has, has been to be an owner and an operator of his own store. He actually goes back and forth to the one in Orange City and the one in Deland. And I don't know how many people have enjoyed Chick-fil-A in Orange City and Deland. Uh, but in a large degree, if those stores are operating well, uh, you can thank the Lord and Jamie Vance, the owner of both. And you can thank Mike Priest. He's, he's an incredible leader. Uh, and I'm not surprised, but a store in Texas called him up and said, hey, we're ready. You ready? He said, we're ready. You ready? I said, I'm not ready. <laughs> But it's not up to me, is it? God's ready. So Mike and Christina and their amazing family uh, that's growing, they are going to Texas. And next Sunday is their last Sunday here, and we're going to send them off. So then there were three. No, then there were two. Because uh, Cliff Patterson has felt the call of God on his life to go to school, to go to Bible school, which is great. You're like, there's plenty of good Bible colleges right here in Florida. no. No, he's not going to Florida. You say, well, okay, you know, maybe out of state. No. <laughs> no, Cliff's going to Jerusalem. <laughs> Cliff's going to Israel. Yeah, praise God. That's amazing. Long, long time desire of his and his family. So um, that's going to come later. I think we'll, we'll get to, to be blessed by him through the summer maybe. We'll, we'll see. Um, but guys, we're losing. That means we're, no, no, excuse What Did I just say losing? <laughs> We're sending, we're, yeah, we're sending three elders. You know what that means? It's just me and Bill, me and Bill. <laughs> so we need at least, at least three more elders because our church has not shrunk, it's grown. And that's why I'm preaching this. This is so important. I interrupted Romans. 
Some of you came here today, Romans 9, no, 1 Timothy 3, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, not sorry. This is, this is important for all of us. So that's why we're here. No, there's no elder here is disqualified. There's no argument. There's no conflict. God is at work. And sometimes God's plans, you know that, you know the old saying, man makes his plans and God laughs, right? I'm like, we're going to be elders. I'm going to change the bylaws. We'll serve for decades together. No, 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 I won't. And no, we won't. God, God has different plans and we always surrender to, to his plans. They're always better than ours. You believe that? Do you believe Providence, not the capital Rhode Island, but Providence, biblical, theological, Providence is always your friend, no matter what. You're like, man, hard Providence today. That's right. There's a smiling God behind a frowning Providence, as, as William Cooper said once. So that's, that's the reason that we're doing this. And I began our outline last week. Nobody remembers outlines. Sometimes I don't remember outlines. Here was our outline. Who can serve as elders? And I wish I would have changed it because every word is important. It's actually not who can serve. It should be <clears throat> who should serve. So often, it sh- maybe it's not even who is serving or who has served or who will serve. It's who should serve because we don't make up the rules, do we? We don't decide who serves. We identify. That's what nomination is. You are identifying as a member of Grace Life Church who already meets these qualifications that God gave us that are non-negotiable. They're fixed. God wrote them, and he said, this is it. This is done. I'm not adapting this list. This list is, uh, what do they say about airlines? Non-transferable, non-refundable. Those are hard words to hear, right? But they're good words because God did make a mistake. They don't need to be updated. These are the perfect qualifications that he gives. And I mentioned to you last week, so often you hear people say, we know Paul wrote this, and Thousands of years ago, different time, different culture, different language. But guys, listen, these qualification lists have no zip code. They have no expiration date. Paul actually said in 1 Corinthians 7, this is my rule in all the churches. Are we a church? Yes, so, so that's Paul's rule for us too. It's God's rule for us. We don't, we don't need to uh, adjust these things and say this is so an- antiquated. This, these are so out of date. Oh, man, we need to be more progressive. We need to be whatever word you want to use. No, this is, in fact, there's two lists in the Bible almost identical. One was given to Crete, an island of Gentiles. Uh, One was given to Ephesus, hundreds of miles apart, different culture, different countries, different churches, same list. So these lists are the same. We don't need to change them. So who should serve as elders? And uh, I almost got through the outline, and I'm, I'm thankful, man, that I stopped. I felt like God wanted me to to elaborate a little bit more. So we started that outline. Lord willing, we'll finish it. Oh, man, this messed up. Restarting the clock. We're just starting a sermon today. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Kind of. All right. So there's three, if I could break this down, three different ways. Men with a desire. If anybody aspires to this office, that means a heart call. That means if anybody has got his heart set on this office, that's a good thing. The word means noble. It means beautiful. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work. In fact, there's a word there in Greek, uh, epithumeia. It's an it's a, a, a overpowering desire. And I'm glad that the Bible's written in Greek, and I'm glad that that word is used because it's a compulsion it means these men aren't going to be able to do anything else and fully be satisfied. Because if God's calling you to shepherd his sheep, you need to shepherd his sheep. That, that call, that desire has to be there. Now listen, that's not enough, okay? 
Because there's people that have overpowering desires to be something or do something. And that's not always good because they're not always qualified to do it, right? I mean, listen, guys, you know this. I, I wish I could sing. I do, man. I sing. People don't sit by me because I sing out loud with all my heart. And I, I, can't, I can't carry a, a tune. I, just, I wish I could. My, pitch, my daughters laugh at me. I, I caught my daughter the other day. I was singing a 90s song. And she, and she was looking at me, and then I realized she had her phone and the red light was on. I'm like, stop, stop. She shook. I think she may have posted it on something. Anyway, just because I want to be a singer and I want to be a famous singer, <laughs> does that mean I should be or could be? No, because I'm not in control of that gift, right? You may want to be an Olympic swimmer. And, you know, we live, in a, we live in a culture and we live in an age where kids are told that. You know, we're actually encouraged to tell kids, you can be anything you, you want to be. I can't think of anything more damaging than a lie like that. Because you can't. I'm sorry. Now, I'm not against effort. I'm not against, you know, I grew up playing team sports. Listen, man, go get them, Tiger. You put out there 110%. But still, I'm never going to be an Olympic swimmer, guys. I'm not. I'm not. I know. I know. I'm, I'm five foot ten. My arms aren't short. I'm just not going to be able to do it. And uh, there's lots of things I can't be. I can't be a cat. I can't be a camel. You know what I'm saying? I mean, listen, we're living in weird times. So desire is important, but it's not enough. There has to be, there has to be gifting too. There has to be gifting. And there's really only one qualification gifting, and it's apt to teach. It's in 1 Timothy. He has to have this compelling desire, this call, this desire, and he also has to be gifted to teach. Well, what does that mean? That means you're able to explain the Bible to, to people in a way that's clear, in a way that's uh, receivable, receptible, is that the right word? In a way people can understand, they can follow it. You have that gift. Not everybody does. Some people just, they can't teach, man. They just, they're not able to do it. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that, that they don't have other gifts. It means they're not called to do this. And listen, that doesn't even mean that they're up here all the time. You don't actually see our elders up here very often. But you know what? Every single one of them have led a community group, have led a discussion on the sermon, have explained and interpreted the Bible, and they do it well. They're able to do it. And, and Titus, actually, in another place, I hope that I'll put this in here. I think I did. No, that's not it. You guys help me out up there? Did I put Titus in here? Yeah, thank you. This is why I left you in Crete. Oh, no, that's not it. Listen, Titus says this in chapter 1. He says, so that they are able to refute false teaching. So the, the gifting of an elder to be able to teach is for two reasons. Number one, so he can give sound instruction is what Titus said. You're able to instruct people. This is what God's will is for your life. This is what the Christian faith is. And you're also able to recognize and to refute heresy. And false teaching that's misleading and that's dangerous. You know, if shepherds are supposed to take care of sheep, and we are, and part of a shepherd's job is to protect sheep and feed sheep, man, you got to know what the good food is. That's why Psalm 23, first thing it says is, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need or I shall not want. He what? He leads me beside. No, wait. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What's that about? Green, lush pastures. Good food. Healthy. It's not toxic. It's good feed, right? Uh, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What's that about? It's fresh water, man. 
It's, it's not polluted. It's not toxic. It's not dangerous. It doesn't have chemicals. It's not next to, next to a chemical plant like Chernobyl or Chernobyl, whatever that place is. Right? It's safe. It's clean. We're the shepherds. We're going to take you to, we're going to feed you good food. We're going to protect you. We're going to take you to good grazing fields. Uh, we're not going to lead you to a violent whitewater rafting stream and say, good luck, you know, and kick you out there. No, shepherds have to take care of the sheep. So they have to have the gift, man, to be able to apt to teach. It means you're able. You know the sweeping narrative of biblical history. You know the core doctrines of the Christian faith, and you hold fast to them. That's another thing that it says in the New Testament. You're able to hold fast. What's that mean? That means you're not wavering back and forth. Next week, you're like, I don't know about the virgin birth. Eh, it's not that important. Uh, actually, it is. You hold fast. That means you're firm. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, there's areas that are gray, that are non-moral, that the Bible doesn't really elaborate or give detail. If you get a sharper focus on those, that's fine. But the core doctrines, you hold fast to them. You refute error. You're able, able to instruct. That's what it means uh, to have this gifting that you're able to teach. Yeah, I'm sorry. Here was Titus 1.9 right in front of me. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine. And that word sound, I told you, it's a Greek word that, that we get our word hygiene from. Hygiene, healthy doctrine. And also rebuke those who contradict it. So that's why you're apt to teach. Now, that's just one-eighth of all of the qualifications. And I mentioned that last week. I even gave you a slide here are all the qualifications for an elder. Here, those two white ones, uh, one is a desire, one is gifting. You know what all the yellow is? It's about character. Now, listen, guys, I can't say this enough, especially in our 2023 moment. I'm reading the news every week, and I know the world loves it when pastors fall. They love it when Christian leaders disqualify themselves. So that's going to be front and center. But the fact that we read about it at all is tragic, man. It's a loss. It really is. It's a loss. The, uh, the world already says hypocrites. That just gives them fuel, right? So that is why seven-eighths. I'm a carpenter by trade, and seven-eighths of an inch, you know, in my mind when I'm measuring, you know what I, I tell myself? Well, that's almost a whole inch. Seven-eighths of an inch. Seven-eighths, that's 14 sixteenths if you're into math, all right? Seven-eighths of an inch. You know what? That's almost the whole thing. So character character of an elder is almost the whole thing. You may have this compelling desire. You may be able to wax eloquent. You may be able to fill up stadiums. Are you guys following me? You may be able, listen, you may have this amazing gift that nobody else has, and that's the only thing that the church cares about, that the offering plate is full and that the seats are full. And I'm telling you right now, I don't say this with a happy heart or a smile or a clenched fist. I say it with tears and a turning stomach. That a lot, and I'm sorry, I mean that, a lot of churches give credence to those two white spaces up there, which is desire and gifting to teach. And I'm telling you, man, if that's the primary thing you focus on is talent and not character, you are headed for disaster. The devil is going to take it down. That's what he wants. So that's why we give so much attention and time to these other characteristics. And let me put the slide up that has these. Can you guys see that? This has all 16, and I just want to, we already read the passage. Aspiration, desire, uh, and then above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, that's the gifting, 
Not a drunkard, not violent, gentle. Man, I just want to stop there, gentle. When you're nominating men to be elders, man, if I had to reduce it down to one word, I would almost say gentle. If you're a sheep, what kind of a shepherd do you want? Harsh, vindictive, angry, unpredictable? You want a gentle shepherd, of course you do. Not quarrelsome. Awkward pause. Man, I want that to sit too. The last thing you want is an argumentative elder. The last thing I want is an argumentative elder. (laughs) Not a lover of money. Manages home well. Not a recent convert. Well thought of by outsiders. Meaning if the only friends that an elder has are believers, there's a problem. How can you meet this qualification, man? If you don't have unbelievers in your contact list, that's a problem. I mean, I... Honestly, and I'll get to this in a little bit, because elders are supposed to be imitated, that's something that all of us should aspire to. I mean, our church's motto is what? Where the, oh man, that's weak, weak. There you go. Where the insiders exist for the insiders. No, that's not what it is. God left us here for outsiders. Everything else we're called to do, we can do better in heaven. We can have potlucks till, you know, Till all eternity evaporates, which will never happen. But we can do all that in heaven. He left us here for outsiders, and we must be around them. And elders especially must be around them. And that's really important. So, man, I'm going to go really fast here because I, I covered this last week. Husband of one wife. And, and the emphasis there, it's just funny to me, man. Paul doesn't start with how faithful the leader is to his boss or his friends or even his church. He starts at home. What is this man like in the home? How does he manage his home? How does he treat his wife if he's married? And he doesn't have to be married, by the way. That's something I need to cover. But even more diligence, I believe, should be given to an elder that's not married because that's an important qualification. Is there an area in his life where there's testing ground, where he's been in control, where he's had authority, where he's led a team? Um, If not, maybe he's so young and inexperienced is one of the final qualifications is that not a novice. He, he's got his feet under him. He's got experience. But anyway, husband and one wife, it means he's not a flirt. He's not a cheat. Cheat. He's not enslaved to pornography. He doesn't have a history of infidelity or unfaithfulness. He keeps his vows. You know, I remember, man, years ago, and it seems to be pretty common now, uh, when somebody's elected president and there's some kind of a moral failure or scandal or divorce or I just remember when I was a teenager man it was Bill Clinton I'm not picking on anybody guys I promise I don't get into the left and right debates all right when I was a teenager Bill Clinton was president and uh then a little bit later the the thing with Monica Lewinsky happened okay and I just remember a a young man I wasn't even fully I didn't pay much attention to politics okay I just remember hearing him say and hearing the argument for people that wanted him to be in office and not get impeached or rejected or whatever saying that's his personal life, it doesn't affect his, that's his private, personal life, it does not and should not affect his public life. And I just remember thinking, well, wait a minute, when you get married, you, you take vows, right? You say, I promise, I promise to be faithful to you and only to you. We've all been at weddings, right? Do you, that's the ring, that's the ceremony. Do you promise to hold fast to, to this spouse to be faithful to him and him only or to her and her only? Yes, I do. Till death do you part? Yes, I do. Well, that president took a vow. He made a promise. And you know what? Elders take vows and make promises too. Uh, and presidents take a vow. Don't they put their hand on the Bible? They still do that, right? I think. For now at least. 
And they make a vow to lead this nation faithfully. I wish I could remember all the words, but I'm thinking if he took this vow and he broke it just like that, just in a moment of temptation in the White House, okay? If that vow meant nothing to him, how can somebody argue and tell me that this vow will mean, like, I know he didn't, that, that was just kidding on that one, but this one isn't really important. But is it though? Does it matter? Your home life, your private life, your personal life? God said it does. It does matter. That's why it starts at home. Does he rule and manage his household well? Over in Titus it says, for a steward, a steward of God must be above reproach. That word steward, steward, I'm not trying to sound scholastic or geek out on you. That's a compound word in Greek, and it has the word for house in there. And it means the manager of God's house must be above reproach. Isn't that interesting? If you're an elder, you are managing God's household. And the qualifications for that begins in your household. If you're going to manage God's household, but you're not managing your household, that's a problem. That's a big problem. So, he has to be the husband of one wife. He has to manage his children well. Has this idea of governing, leading, giving direction. He has to keep his children submissive. Is he tender and gentle with his children if he has any and he's married? Does he discipline them does he train them are they out of control and rebellious is he present in the home this is not about perfection by the way it's about direction this is the testing ground now these next qualifications deal with uh, really self-discipline and there's a pastor friend of mine who who you would know well he's been in ministry for over four decades and he's my, he's one of my mentors and uh, I texted him. I said, hey, man, give me, give me some. I just like hearing from him. He's just, he bleeds wisdom, man. I just love men like that. They're just like, and women. They just, ooh, every time they speak, just, they're like wisdom, wisdom. I said, give me some thoughts, man, on these qualifications. Here's what he said. And he knew what I was wanting. He, just, he said, for some weird reason, when we think about the qualifications, a lot of focus is on husband and one wife, above reproach, able to teach, and even having his children submissive. Of course, those are all biblical concerns. However, now remember, this is out of four decades of experience. However, there are other characteristics that sometimes get passed over. Sober-minded, respectable, self-controlled, and not quarrelsome come to mind. The Greek words here are all words that have some element of amiableness. Amiableness, the capacity to get along with others. Now listen, guys, if you're a member of this church, we're counting on you to to nominate men that meet these qualifications. And I'm telling you right now, please do not nominate somebody that can argue with a blade of grass or argue the sun sets in the east. Well, I'm just not so sure about that. You know what I'm saying? It's, <clears throat> I should, it, I want to say it goes without saying, but it doesn't go without saying. Sometimes we think, well, let me just finish here. The capacity to get along with others. He says, I would even go so far as to say a team player who doesn't insist on his own way and digs his heels in when there's discussion and even difference, especially on non-moral or non-biblical issues, not quarrelsome. You know what the word is for that in Greek? Ah, macho. You know, ah means it's, it's the negation. So ma, it means not macho. I grew up again watching the macho man Randy Savage. How many people are with me? That was wrestling. Yeah, yeah. And... <laughs> I just grew up like, hey, man, I want to be like that. Now I'm an elder, and I don't want to be like that at all. I don't want to be macho. If macho, oh, man, 
I, don't, I don't, probably don't need to say anything there. An elder shouldn't, shouldn't aspire to be a macho man, okay? That means you're not quarrelsome. You're not grabbing the microphone and trash-talking everybody, okay? Ah, macho. It conveys the idea of someone who is peaceable and not contentious. Often, he said this, this was helpful. Often men who are unwavering in their, unwavering in their convictions get nominated for elders because they are seen as leaders. And that is important, to have convictions. Obviously, I just talked about that. However, we need men who also are able to set aside preferences and seek peace as a leadership team. Men who can yield in non-moral areas and judgment calls. Otherwise, the elders end up in exhausting arguments. Good men soon do not want to serve on the team because of the quarreling. Ministry and mission priorities get neglected. Then he, he finishes that text. He says, so, look for that somewhat agreeable temperament, a gentleness and pastoral wisdom that isn't argumentative. That quality is sometimes overlooked and can torpedo a church's leadership and expose the church to the adversary's divisive attacks. And I want to say this in public in front of these men. I'm thank God for our elders, man, because they have embodied that. They have exuded that. They have conviction. They have backbone. They have a spine. Yeah, praise God. And when we, we meet every other week, we meet every other Tuesday night for at least two hours. And I always promise them we'll be done by eight. And I'm looking at the elder wives. We never are, are we? We never are. And it's not because we're arguing. It's because we're praying. It's because we're rejoicing together and we're talking things out. And sometimes we leave there, we're, we don't agree, but we're always united. And I want that. Listen, the last thing I want is a pushover puppet yes man. We don't need those, man. And the last thing I want to be is the top of this hierarchy where everybody bows down to me. I, that's not safe. I don't, I don't trust myself to do that. I really don't. That's not what I want. So these things, these things are important. I, ho I hope that makes sense. Um, Sober-minded, that means unmixed, alert, watchful, clear-headed, objective, that's the kind of leader you want, especially when a crisis happens. Man, there's so many church leaders, they're always looking for somebody else's hot take on this. What did so-and-so say? What did so-and-so say? What did this leader? What did this politician? What did this? Hey, what did God say? Whatever God said, that should give me what I need to be able to have an objective conversation with these men and steer the ship, right? Steer the flock. Self-controlled, that means they're sensible. They're in control of their spirit. They're not rash, they're not impulsive, they're not led by feelings or emotions. Well, the Bible talks about that. It says a fool vents his spleen, but the wise man holds it back. It says that, oh, my wife helps me remember this proverb all the time. It's a proverb about an angry man in a walled city. Whoever loses control over his spirit is like a city without walls. Just think Jericho, no walls. If you're impulsive and not in control of yourself, man, you're easy pickings for the devil. Respectable, that means you have a well-ordered life, a disciplined life, a structured life. You're organized. You don't conceal a secret hidden life where you're addicted to alcohol, drugs. You self-medicate or pornography or gambling. You don't lose control. You're not an angry man. You're not divisive. You're a man who can tell himself no even when he doesn't want to. I had a seminary professor, <laughs> this is funny, man. I thought of this last night in the middle of the night, I was cracking up. I remember a seminary professor that led a lecture, and he was about, you know, me and the president of your seminary, we always say no to chocolate cake, uh, just to remind ourselves who's in control. And then I met him, <laughs> I met him, 
uh, in the student lounge coming down the stairs and his breath smelled like chocolate and he had like cake on his face. I kid you not. It was just funny. He didn't do anything wrong. It was just, he just did that class and I was just like, huh? <laughs> Can you tell yourself no? It's like, hey, you want this piece of blueberry pie? It's hot out of the oven with whipped cream and ice cream. Mmm. <laughs> Whole plate of cheese fries. <clears throat> Self-control, you know, that's the ability to do the important thing rather than the urgent thing. Take the long look, long obedience in the same direction. Not violent, that means not a striker. It means you don't have a violent temper. Gentle, a man softened by God's grace, sweet reasonableness. One who quickly and easily forgives. You don't keep a list, you don't hold a grudge. I was reading to Sarah the other day, we were talking about this. Jesus on the cross, forgive them, they know not what they do. And I was reading a passage, just the wisdom of Paul, man. He was talking to Timothy, chapter 4, he's in prison, he thinks he's about to die. And he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, may the Lord repay him. And then he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And then he says, may the Lord pardon him, or something to that effect. And I was like, dude... Alexander struck me, Demas forsook me, and not everyone stood with me at, at my first defense, and he said, may the Lord pardon them and have mercy on them, and I'm like, I'm just like, Paul's not angry, he's not vindictive, he's writing a letter to, a church, to Timothy that's going to be shared with all the church at Ephesus, and he's like, I don't want you to think harshly about these men that didn't stand up with me, some of them departed and ran away and left, God have mercy on them, I understand, we get weak, you know, and I want to be that kind of leader. When people disappoint me or the church, I don't want to take it personal, but I want to take it serious. Whenever there is conflict, man, there was a guy at our seminary, his name was Gunnar Gunderson, and he, he said this. He said, the way that a man conducts himself in conflict will mark his reputation and his relationship for weeks, months, even years to come. In every conflict, trust is either earned or lost. Isn't that true, man? You get in an argument, you get in a verbal clash with somebody, and if you're not in control of your spirit, if you're a quarrelsome person, you're given to impulsive and vindictive speech out of your mouth, man, you are earning for yourself a reputation. You're either gaining or losing trust by the way you argue. When you disagree with somebody, that's going to happen. But how you handle yourself in that disagreement says a lot about your maturity and your relationship to God and whether or not you're qualified to leave. Because I can tell you right now, man, Conflicts come, opposition comes, and by the way, that's why desire is important. This is not just a, a friendly favor. It's got to be a divine call because if somebody talks you into this and then not if, but when suffering comes, when opposition comes, and you say, I didn't want to do it anyway. I'm out. So not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a novice, there's a word that's used there. It actually describes a, not a newly planted tree. Do you tie a tire swing on that new sapling in your backyard for your kids to swing on? No. Do your kids climb it? No. Why? Because it bends over or it breaks. It's not tall enough. It can't even provide shade yet for crying out loud. What do you need to do? You need to water it. You need to give it some time to mature and grow and be strong, planted by the rivers. And then you can get more use out of it. And that's the language that's used here. Somebody that's brand new Christian or somebody that's really young and untested, probably shouldn't be an elder. I would say rare exceptions. That's why we have 16 qualifications and not two, right? Man, there's this young guy, oh, he can preach. 
Oh, you should hear him preach, man. He's got him drinking out of his hand. Is he a novice? Yeah, but you should hear him preach. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, sh- you should consider that list is what you should do, right? So, okay. Uh, I finished my outline, guys, and now I've got one more to finish, and here it is. Because here's what I, I want to protect us against. A lot of the times, we, we'll give a list like that for all the qualifications, and here's the result in a church. Who cares? I'm not an elder. I'm not qualified to be an elder. I'll never be an elder. Maybe you say, I'm not even a member of this church, so I can't even nominate. Who cares? Well, here's why you should care. And you're saying, oh my goodness, he's got four more points. (laughs) No, don't think like that. They'll be quick. Why should you care? Here's point number one. Because do you realize that elders are an example for you? Did you guys know that? That's a scary and a weighty and a, and a terrifying reality, if I'm honest with you, that you are looking to me to know what a Christian should look like and how a Christian should handle himself or herself in conflict and suffering and prosperity and adversity. I'm supposed to be an example. These men, are, whoever you nominate, is supposed to be an example. And there's plenty of scriptures about that. Here's one, 1 Peter 5. This is Peter writing to shepherds. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The word there in Greek, for example, is type, typos, not typo, typos. That means you're to be a type. You're to be an example. You should be able to hold up an elder to a brand new believer who's saying, man, what's, what should a Christian be like? How should a Christian live? And you should say, just like that, my friend, just like that. That's how you should live. That's how you can, should conduct yourself. The Bible says it another way when it says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and what's that word? Imitate their faith. You know, whether we admit it or not or realize it or not, we are hardwired to be copycats. We get it honest. We get it natural when we're young. We're always co- I remember talking to a dad who told me uh, years ago, he said, you know, I, you know, I gave up smoking. And I said, well, that's, that's probably a good thing. And he, and he said, you know why? I said, why? He said, because I saw my toddler in the living room walking around going like this. When he said, I, I don't want that for my kid. He said, I shouldn't want that for myself, so I gave it up. For good or for bad, we're always copycatting people, right? That's, that's kind of a bad example. Here's a good example. I've been reading, man, this is such a good book. I've been reading a book about Fred Rogers. Anybody know who Fred Rogers is? Oh, man, come on. You know, Mr. Rogers, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I told you I wanted to be a singer. <clears throat> beautiful day for a neighbor, won't you? Fred Rogers, his biography Did you guys know Fred Rogers was an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church in 1963? How many people knew that? He was essentially an elder. Fred went to seminary while he was doing a TV show called Children's Corner, and it took him eight years. It took him eight years to finish. And reading reading his biography, and I'm only a third of the way through it, man, and it's so interesting. And I wanted to read this because this was was pretty cool. Um, One of the most influential people in Fred's spiritual life was a seminary professor named Dr. William Orr, a systematic professor. And Fred Rogers took his class, and he would even return later in life to go and sit under his class. He loved this man so much. 
And Fred was reflecting on his time in that class. He said this, it was the start of a lifelong friendship. For the next eight years, three or four days a week, I would leave the frantic life of television production and drive to the seminary to study with a person who not only taught Christian theology, he lived it. Oh, our class learned about epistemology and Christology and eschatology and sanctification and justification and existentialism. This is Fred Rogers. Did you know that? <laughs> but most of all, we witnessed the unfolding of the life of one of God's saints. More than once, Rogers saw Dr. Orr leave for lunch. This is in Pittsburgh. On a winter's day and come back without his overcoat, having given it to someone he encountered living on the street. Professor Orr told Rogers, don't worry, he had other coats back home. With everyone at the seminary, students and faculty alike, Orr was willing to give freely of his time, his books, his money, or anything that was needed. Rogers found Orr with his emphasis on kindness and caring and his deep belief in forgiveness to be an example of how to live. And Fred decided to work hard to emulate his professor. So people are always wondering, man, Fred Rogers, what an amazing dude. You know, Fred's imitating somebody else in his life. There's, that's powerful. Imitation is powerful for good and for evil. Certainly, Orr's appeal to Fred Rogers derived from his intellect and his ability to explain theology and scripture to the younger man, but it was the example of Orr, something, someone living a Christian life that Rogers could emulate that was the real deal. Another Rogers friend, the Reverend George, explains, for Fred, Dr. Orr was one of the great mentors of his life. Because Dr. Orr, a world-renowned biblical scholar, one of the top theologians and professors in the seminary, was one of the most humble, approachable, loving people you could find, uh, Fred's life was like Will Orr's life. Great things, but never self-centered or self-aggrandizing or self-anything. Inevitably, there were those at the seminary who compared Bill Orr to Christ. And others later who made the same comparison of Orr's student, Fred Rogers. His biographer says both men were dismayed at such suggestions, but the comparisons were present. Dr. William Hirsch, a friend of Fred, said, If you met Christ, what would he be like? He would be like Fred Rogers. Now, I know that you think, oh, but the fact that he said that and thought that way tells you how powerful an example a person's life can be. Because we tend to think like that. Like, who would, be, who would Jesus be like today that I know in my life? Who would most embody the qualities of Jesus? And I want to say, I would hope that any elder that serves at a church may be in the peripherals of who you would think of first. I would hope so. I hope it's your dad and your mom and your sibling and your family. I hope it's leaders in the church too. One more quote from that, okay? The Reverend Burr Wishart, who worked with Fred Rogers, shared that opinion. He would take offense at it, but Fred was the most Christ-like human being that I've ever encountered. Lisa Dormeyer, who worked on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, saw the comparison of Rogers and Jesus in terms of authenticity. Quote, I think he had very Christ-like qualities, and that in part is what drew children. Children know a fraud more than anyone. It's true, isn't it? I truly believe he was one of the most authentic and Christ-like people that I have ever known in my life. Just his manner, his ability to listen. Everyone you, everyone you talked to that had any encounter with him, it was a real moment in their lives. Example is powerful. I grew up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and there was something about him. So, the power of imitation, that's why this should matter to you. That's why it should matter. And I, I would say this, man, because people, there's, of course, there's an authority, a derivative authority that are placed upon elders. 
And I'll get to that in just a minute, just for a second, our final point. But I would say this, man. If people are following you because they have to and not because they want to, that's a real problem. Is, your, is it your authority? I'm talking to potential elders. Is it your authority that compels people to obedience or is it your example that stirs them? Those are two totally different things and they're opposite. Second, second reason you should care is the need for accountability. The need for accountability. I have been reading again Animal Farm. I read crazy stuff, guys. I do it for you, okay? Animal Farm, written in 1945. It's only like 170 pages. And it's, it's really a satire parable about how power can influence and corrupt people quickly. You know the story. It's about a farm. And there's a farmer, Mr. Jones. And all the animals on his farm rebel. They're like, we're sick of this, man. We're taking over. And they run him off. And all the humans, they run off. And very quickly, the pigs on the farm, <laughs> very quickly, the pigs on the farm emerge as the leaders, okay? The pigs are the most intelligent animals. They're, they're, they're literate. They can read. They can write. They can talk. All the other animals are kind of dumb. They can't read. They can't write. They can't remember things. So the pigs take over. The pigs take over. And they come up with seven commandments. It's called the rules of animalism, the seven commandments. Now, I want to show you. They write them on the side of a barn, and here they are. Can you guys see that? <laughs> here, here were the pig's commandments. Now remember, this is, I'm making a point here for accountability. Here were the pig's points, the laws. Whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. No animal shall wear clothes. No animal shall sleep in a bed. No animal shall drink alcohol. No animal shall kill any other animal. All animals are equal. Those were the seven rules that all the animals were to follow. Well, if you remember the story, very quickly, the pigs take over and they get greedy and they get power hungry and it goes to their head and man, this whole thing just collapses. But do you remember how it starts? They start adapting these laws. They start changing them. The pigs figure out, you know what? These cows have to be milked every day uh, and there's apples that fall into the fields because of the wind and man, somebody's got to take care of this stuff. So the milk starts disappearing, and the apples start disappearing, and the pigs admit, yeah, we put that in our slop every day. We eat that. Uh, <clears throat> so they're given special privileges, and they're made special provisions, and eventually all, <laughs> all these rules get changed. The seven laws turn into just five laws. And listen, they add these qualifications. And remember, the rest of the animals are kind of dumb. They can't remember the laws. They can't read. They can't write. So these pigs adapt them. I don't know if I can read that back there. Can you guys see this? So uh, they change it to four legs are good, two legs are better. Because the pigs start walking on two legs and using their hoofs, right? Two legs good, <laughs> two legs are better than four. And then it goes to uh, no animal shall sleep in a bed with sheets, with sheets. So they go into the farmer's house and they figure out these beds are pretty comfy, man. We're going to sleep in them just with blankets though, no sheets. And then... Uh, no animal shall drink alcohol to excess. They discover the farmer's whiskey, and, and they don't take a liking to it. And then, no animal shall kill any other animal without cause, because it turns out some animals don't like this new regime, and they have to off them, right? And then, this is the big one. In fact, the five rules ended up going to one rule. All animals are created equal, but some animals are created more equal. And why did I tell you that silly story? I tell you that silly story because you should care about these qualifications because we need to be held accountable to them. We need to be held accountable to them. 
if for any reason, at any time, any of the elders in this church have a character flaw, that's something this, is, this church should care about. That's something that should be brought to the attention of people that can do something about it. Because you don't want people who are unqualified to be leading you. That's a huge problem. It really is. The rules and the qualifications for elders don't change. God has spoken. The standard is fixed. You should hold our feet to the fire. I, hold, I heard about an elder, not in this area, uh, but he had some character. He had some questions about his character. And he had a member of his staff come to him multiple times and said, look, man, I'm not alone. The other guys on, it's a bigger church. The other guys on staff see this issue with you. You know, you, you, there's inconsistencies, man. You embellish the truth. You change the truth. I'm not the only one. Then people in the congregation started coming to him. Well, he had to, he had to acknowledge it to some degree. He said, I'll work on it. So two years went by. It didn't change. In fact, it got more insidious and more, and more shielded and hidden. This guy went to greater lengths to hide it. More elders came, came forward. And just last year, guess what happened to those elders that came forward? Guess what happened to them? They left. Got paid on whatever, you know, what are the words they use? Administrative leave or they're just rotating off to think about some personal issues. This person to this day is still leading that church and has never worked on that list. And there are all kinds of problems with that church. Why? Because these qualifications matter. They should matter to you. This is a list that you should bookmark in your Bible. You should bookmark it. Accountability matters to God. It should matter to you. Third, the opportunity for encouragement. The opportunity for encouragement. Because, because of all the things I'm ta I've talked about, uh, man, we need your prayers. I, I was studying this the other day. You know, the Apostle Paul alone, he's not the only author in the New Testament, but he specifically and directly asked for the churches he wrote letters to to pray for him eight times. Eight times. Sometimes I just feel, I feel weird when I say, will you pray for me? I, I don't know why, man. Maybe it's I'm a proud person. I just want to take this opportunity. Will you commit to pray for me? And for the elders that we nominate regularly, will you please do that? There's people that tell me that all the time, and it means so much to me. I feel your prayers. I see your prayers at work. Um, here, here is here's a passage that comes into play. Obey your leaders and submit to them. And man, that's going to be the last point. Obey and submit. I know that has such a stigma today in our world, but I'll come back. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. So the question is, why should you care about this? They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I'm going to give an account. I'm going to give one to God, and I should be giving one to you too. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning or grief, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do you know why you should care about these things? Do you know why you should encourage us? Because I would put it this way. If you're in need of a heart transplant, and you go in at 4 a.m., which is often the case for pre-surgery prep. You've all been in the hospital before. You know how this goes, right? And your surgeon shows up, and you've just taken anesthesia. you got about a minute before you're out, right? He goes, I just wanted to introduce myself to you again. I'm Dr. Clayton, and man, I've had a rough night, and I'm in a really bad mood, and I know I'm about to perform life-altering surgery on you, but man, I'm just angry, and I'm discouraged right now. <sighs> oh, look, it's working. Well, I'll see you when you wake up. Seriously, I th how much of more eternal significance and weightiness is this? Would you want your heart surgeon operating on you uh, with grief and not, for and not with joy? You wouldn't. I hope this doesn't come across as selfish. I'm trying to be biblical here. 
We need encouragement. We need your prayers. We need to be held accountable. We do. We need to be imitated. And here's the last thing. Uh, the responsibility to follow. The responsibility to follow. And I chose those words carefully, man, because if you're sheep, and I'm among the shepherd, I'm among the sheep, right? I'm not above you. I'm a shepherd who's a sheep, <laughs> all right? Um, I was doing some research this week. Do you know domesticated sheep will die without a shepherd? Did you know that? Gee, of all the analogies and the metaphors and the illustrations that God could have chosen for how the church operates under the leadership, he chose a sheep. And man, how humbling. How, seriously, how humbling is that to be called a sheep? <laughs> now, I'm a sheep, so don't get mad at me. Sheep are probably one of the dumbest animals. I, maybe naive is a better word. I was reading what shepherds say. They say, actually, they have to be careful near cliffs and mountains because literally if one sheep goes over the edge, sheep by nature follow, they imitate. So guess what happens? Uh, one shepherd said, I watched half my flock go over a cliff. Because, listen, the sheep just kept following follow the leader. Who's the, we don't know. You know, there was, I think Matt mentioned a while back, this weird phenomenal of sheep going in circles. They couldn't, for days on end, they were so confused. They just followed the other. They didn't know what to do. Sheep, you never see a mascot that's a sheep. Maybe, I know rams, but that, that's more aggressive. They have horns and they butt heads. Not sheep, the New England sheep. No, that's dragons, bears, tigers, eagles, not sheep. It's a, it's a humbling. It is a, it's a really humbling metaphor. Sheep uh, need shepherds, right? And, and domesticated sheep will die. They have to be shorn because the lanolin, the dirt, the weight. You heard about Shrek the sheep, that New Zealand sheep that disappeared for six years. He hid in a cave and he was almost dying. They found him. He just didn't want to be shorn, so he ran away. And the, guy, the sheep weighed like 80 kilos, man. <laughs> he was about to die. They had to shave him. And he was like so happy when they did. Sheep need shepherds to survive. That's the way God planned it. And so you have to imitate, to follow, to submit to, to obey. And you say, what are you getting at here? You're saying you got to obey us. I'm saying that, but here's what I'm saying. You're about to choose, nominate, three men who meet these qualifications. Keep this in mind. Is this a person that I would have a problem following and submitting to. I mean, I have daughters, I tell them that. When, when you are old enough to date and, you know, these young men are trying to sweep you off your feet, ask yourself this question. Would I want to submit to this man? Would I want this man to lead me and be responsible for me? That's a good question to ask, right? It's a, it's a good question to ask for shepherds too. Well, listen, guys, I've gone way past my time. Let me, let me close with this. I mentioned this last week. It's about direction, not perfection. If you're looking for somebody to meet these qualifications perfectly, uh, then only Jesus is qualified to be a shepherd. I, 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 I certainly don't meet these qualifications 24 hours a day, 24-7. I have to repent if I lose my temper. You can ask my wife. You can ask my kids. I, re I have to repent and ask their forgiveness all the time, and they're so gracious to give it. But it's talking about an overall pattern, not perfection, but direction. Jesus is the chief shepherd who became a sheep, right? The sacrificial, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. Thank God for that. Thank God for his righteousness and not our own because we don't have any to offer. Um, here, here's what I want to close with. We have a nomination card that's at the back today. I think whoever does the announcements is, is 
going to bring that up to us again. If you are a member, and we're asking for only members to participate in the nomination because uh, if we're going to identify who the leaders are of a church, I believe the first step in doing that is for the person doing the nominating to be willing to be identified as a member of the flock, right? Does that make sense? If you're willing to identify as a member of the flock, then and only then should you participate in identifying who should lead that flock as a shepherd. And, and look, uh, not an insult here, but we're having a, a membership class today. Take, pray about taking those steps and following Jesus and being added to the flock, and then you can nominate next time. But the, the way to do that is two ways. One is by paper. We have those set up in the back. Uh, it looks like this. If you're a member, you can write. We're not going to do it anonymously. Write your name down, prayerfully read over this passage, um, and then you can nominate it. You can fold it up and put it in the back. Another way is if you are a member of this church, you should have already gotten an email. Maybe it's in your junk box or your spam folder, and, and it's a way that you can very easily and digitally submit. And some of you already have. Thank you for those. They're coming in. You can submit a nomination for an elder. And uh, I don't think there's a number for how many you can do. I mean, I guess you could do 20 if you know 20 guys. But we need three. We need three. So maybe pray over who the, the top three or the top one is that you would like to nominate. And, and listen, we also have a nomination review committee. Our bylaws call for that. Uh, for people, there has to be at least two. We actually have six, and they're led by me. And here's what happens. You make a nomination. Three weeks go by. That third week, I call together to nomination review committee. We pray over that list. We analyze that list. We interview uh, those nominations. Those, some of them may not meet the qualifications. You know, some, some just may not meet the qualifications. And, and so we go no further. Maybe they don't have the desire. Or maybe they're not a man. They're a woman. I talked about that last week. Uh, or maybe they're inexperienced or, or whatever. But we do the interviews and then we pass on to the existing elders that list so that we can make the, the, the follow-up call. And I wanted to just read for you. This is our nomination review committee. Here are their names. Jeannie McGrain, Jason Umberger, Marianne Padilla, Craig Combs, Michelle Wynn, and Chris Hendricks. So you could be praying for that. We tried to... to uh, have some diversity there, men and women, married and single. But definitely, these people were chosen by our elders because they serve in this church. They show up, they serve faithfully. Most, if not all of them, are involved in a community group. And that means that they're in a position to be able to observe the men who may potentially be, be nominees. Does that make sense? We don't want people reviewing the nominations who hardly ever show up at church. They don't serve, they're not in community. Uh, that wouldn't make any sense. We're trying to do this the most biblical, safest, wisest approach. And so that's why we're doing it the, the way that we're doing it. So I think two weeks left now, actually, to nominate. Take your time. Pray. If you, for some reason, did not get this email and you don't want to use the paper route, go to the Connect Center or talk to Megan Amador. She'll be able to hook you up with that. Uh, but that's why I hit the pause button on Romans. And I wanted to take two weeks. Thank you for being patient I hope that this has encouraged you. Uh, should probably talk about this more than we do at this church because leadership is always going to be under the gun, under the crosshairs of the enemy, and it's so important. And if nothing else, just to remind you, uh, be thankful for the elders that God gave. Certainly with these three rotating off, maybe find a way to thank them, encourage them. Certainly tell Mike and, and, and Cliff goodbye the next several weeks. You have one week to tell Mike and Christina uh, goodbye and pray that God brings forth uh, elders who can... Continue to carry the torch.
But let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the clarity and the power of your word. I pray that nothing that I've said has been misleading, confusing. Um, you are not the God of confusion or chaos. You are a God of order. And we're trying to, to nominate elders in our church orderly, biblically, in a way that's pleasing to you, in a way that reflects uh, and takes serious these qualifications that you've given us. Lord, I'm so thankful for that list. It's so countercultural. These are not CEO, CEO uh, business types, Lord, even though some of them may, may work in the business realm. We're looking for, for gentle shepherds who have the desire, who have the gifting and the calling upon their life, uh, and who have the, the qualifications they are above reproach. No accusations would stick because these men are above that, Lord. And I'm thankful for that. I, I pray for the men right now. I'm thankful for the men that have served so well. And uh, pray for Bill and I as we continue on to, to carry the torch. Pray for Mike and for Steve and for Cliff, Lord, whether they're resting or moving or going to school. Bless them, protect them, reward them for their service, Lord. And for the men that are going to be nominated, I pray we would have unity, strength. You would protect us from the enemy and we would stay encouraged. Thank you for Grace Life Church. Thank you that we are growing. Thank you that, that you've given us a heart, Lord, to honor the instructions you gave us for leadership. And I pray this entire church... Lord, would, would find a way to participate. If there's people that are not members, at least they can pray, Lord. They can pray and they can continue to encourage the leadership that is in place. We ask all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.